As we landed in White County, the small houses and trees slowly growing from the sight of the plane window, I replayed the audio over and over again for the final hour of our flight. Christina, I will be sending you this. Do not panic. Do not cause a scene. Go and find Everett. If you stop this investigation, I'll make sure your friend Andy pays for it. Listening to Officer Marsh bring up Everett Cooper only meant one thing. He was connected to Cape Lock. It was something that came completely out of left field for me. That, and his crime, being recorded and now broadcast on KINH all over Colorado. For all we knew, Officer Fred Marsh had fled the small valley town of Lake City just like Mr. Arnold Bennett had done yesterday. Michael was glued to his phone after we had played a few games of Mario Kart. He was listening to music, the two of us preoccupied with headphones in our ears. It felt almost criminal to have him here to continue the story. I was risking his life for him without any consent. All of this, the arrest of Susan and subsequent confession to the murder of Jeremy Rogers, the murder of Susan Neal by Officer Fred Marsh, now broadcast on the news, And now the sudden involvement of Marsh to Cape Lock, which makes him involved in the murder of Jeremy just as much as Susan is. But let's take a step back. My name is Christina Glass. I'm an investigative reporter at KINH in Colorado, and I've been researching a town by the name of Cape Lock. While this town might be mysterious in nature we know a few things from our interviews with the many residents in Lake City. Susan Neal, a 54-year-old resident of Lake City, confesses to the murder of Jeremy Rogers, a former Cape Lock resident, and to the attempted murder of Eddie Myers. He is now hospitalized and recovering from multiple stab wounds. After an interview with Arnold Bennett, the teacher fled Lake City, leaving his proof of a connection to the town with a self-proclaimed paranormal investigator in the city of Sparta, Tennessee. That's where we're headed, the White County Public Library. So you didn't exactly tell me why we're coming to Sparta, besides just bringing up that it had to do with Jeremy. The man in that office has some important paperwork that proves the existence of the town and Mr. Bennett's involvement with it. Wait, my math teacher, he's involved with this? Well, no, not really. I mean, he's not your math teacher anymore. He, um, he fled town. I don't really know where he is. All right. He never seemed the type to somehow be connected to a disappearing town. I don't think I've ever met that type. You know, super secretive, super buff, super scary. Like, you know, he's been in jail for at least a few years. Well, um, you know, they can be regular people as well. I think it's the ordinary things that can be a bit scary. Hi there, Miss Christina. It's very great to see you. Hi. Um, did you know I was coming? No, but when I heard you were outside of my office, the package I got made a lot more sense. So you did receive the package? Yes. I didn't think I would somehow be connected to this whole thing, but it's a privilege. As scary as it may be, I'm ready to risk my life for something like this. A real mystery. So you've heard of Off the Map? Not until it started coming up all over the news and online. Wait, the news? Of course. This is one of the biggest stories in America right now. NBC, CNN, Fox, all of them are talking about Cape Lock. It's insane. 
So I hope that puts into perspective on how ecstatic I am right now. He sat us down and showed us articles and videos, speculations about Cape Lock from different news outlets. Now with a simple Google search, so much information pops up about the town and off the map. People started going on road trips to try and find Cape Lock, none of which were successful. But I'm sorry if I feel like I'm stalling. We should really talk about the package. What's in it? Well, that's what we're here to find out, isn't it, Michael? It feels weird being a celebrity. Try not to let it go to your head. Okay, let's have a look-see. Here are the contents of the package sent from Mr. Arnold Bennett. First, there were three maps. Everett and I will be discussing these later. There were also drawings. No photographs of the town. After cross-examining the sketches to the maps, certain areas started to match up. Then there were blueprints. A lot of the writing crossed out in white pen. There were almost no words on the pages at all. In the center was a single machine, in the shape of a golf ball. What's that supposed to be? Bennett told me he was an engineer for the town. Maybe they were working on a new form of technology? Well, I can't really ask him what all of this means. We just have to figure this out. In between the blueprints and the sketches were invoices for large amounts of money, a starting sum of $40 million, all of which went to one construction infrastructure, Hirsch Building and Development. There was a name, Robert Hirsch, a list of supplies, thousands of wood paneling, pipes, glass, and the list continued, listing more items for building up to 10 or 11 buildings. Most importantly, however, there was an address to Hirsch's building and development in Cincinnati, Ohio. Michael picked up the last item in the strange package. What's this here? It's a personal recorder. This is my daily recording. Arnold told me to use this daily to track my days. I don't think I will, but, well, here's my first try. It's Jeremy! We sat and listened to the majority of the recordings. A lot of them were of his life, working slowly on getting it back to normal after what he described as five years of abuse. Baseball practice, cookouts with the community, math class, Michael, their first date, their fights and eventual making up. He loved talking about Michael's crooked tooth. Michael, however, looked on with a blank expression the whole time. The messages played, and then, days before Jeremy's death, as he detailed what he was planning on getting Michael for Christmas, he finally spoke about Cape Lock. I talked to Arnold today, and he told me that I should be recording more and talking more about the town. He said it was a unique perspective that no one else was able to talk about, and that somehow my story would make its way out into the world. I highly doubt that, but why shouldn't I trust him? As much as his friends took me and his parents, I don't really consider them family. I appreciate them, don't get me wrong, but they weren't there the way Arnold was. I think the story would start sometime after I met him. This was after I had started working at the gas station. He handed me a piece of paper after refilling his tank. He drove away and I read the slip. Lake City. I knew what it meant right when I read it. He wanted me to leave because he knew that I wanted to get out of there. So the next time he came, I wrote him a message. When? The next day, I just got in his car and left. 
I didn't know where we were going or for how long, but we drove for what seemed like forever. It must have been days because we stayed at a few places. He fed me whenever he could, and I don't think he slept a wink at the hotels. He didn't say a word throughout the entire trip, but he was thoughtful. I didn't say anything either. We arrived at Lake City and he handed me a duffel bag, clothes, a baseball, a phone, a recorder, and a note. I still have it. I've had it in my pocket ever since. He said, enjoy your new life. It's the only one you got. And I know that people might read this and think that it was kind of dark, but instead, I read it and still do and feel at home. I feel protected and safe, like how I felt when we drove here to Lake City. I never thought that when I read that note, the first one he handed me, it was the name of my new home. A place where I would learn, a place where I would love. I think Michael and Arnold are my new family. And I'm glad, because they showed me what it was like to be loved. And in that loveless town, that's all I could really ask for. Um, uh, that, that was beautiful. And I'm, I'm sorry for your loss, Michael. We stopped recording then, because I felt like it wasn't necessary. I went outside and talked to Michael. He began to slowly weep into my chest. A few people looked at us with concerned glares, but I didn't pay much attention. I didn't want to continue, not one audio bite, not one single step until Michael was composed and felt better. I'm not the most emotional person, but I did want him to feel comfortable and in a way to feel catharsis. Because what we listened to was the last recording of Jeremy Rogers, the boy that loved those who loved him back with a greater amount of force. The boy that felt no love his entire adolescence. I have two people who are really excited to meet you, Miss Christina. Oh? They're also researchers, and they help me a lot with my findings. Maybe they can help make some conjecture about the audio recordings. Perhaps. Do you happen to have their contact information? <laughs> well, you'd see, here's the thing. Don't laugh. I won't. Don't worry. So where can I talk to them? It's a research facility near a small lake close by. That's where they are. Oh, uh, hold on. You'll be broadcasting this, right? My broadcast is set for tomorrow, so that's correct, yeah. Okay, then. You guys haven't eaten breakfast yet, have you? Michael and I jumped in the back of his old station wagon, the car groaning to life as we pulled out and towards Wheat's Curve Lake. Oh, I usually have Taylor Swift on, but I'm not quite sure if that's your kind of music. Just let me know whatever you're trying to listen to, and I'll put it on for you. A anything is fine, thank you. Alright, blank space it is. He was kind enough to take us to a McDonald's on the way over, also buying something for the people that we were planning on visiting. We sat patiently with our warm food in our laps as we saw the side of the road turn into a modest lake. So, the reason why I didn't want you to laugh is for two reasons. You'll see them as we come up to where we're headed. It was a tiny wooden shed with one window and a camera hanging from the roof. Hello? This is Vrisco to Didyma. Come in, Didyma. This is Didyma to Vrisco. 
What brings you here, over? Briscoe is with, uh, Sibella. What the fuck? Christina is here? Shut up, would you? Hi there. I just wanted to have a few words with you. We need you to help us with something we found. Who's the other one? I don't have a cool nickname. Uh, this is Pragma. He's working with Sibella. What do you want us to help you with? This has to do with Cape Lock. Please, step in. The inside is metal, pristine, some glass bulbs on the wall, and what looks to be a trash chute. You describe everything? Just the stuff that's important. Put your bags and coats in the chute, please. End the recorder, please. The shed started to move after all of our belongings went down the chute. We slowly descended down until we saw a door that led to a bunker. It was decorated like a house in the 1970s with a floral canvas couch, lamps in every corner, and an old TV set with VHS tapes littered all around the floor and shelves. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Unsolved Twins. Today, we're meeting up with investigative reporter Christina Glass. Whoa, whoa, whoa there. Put that thing away. We're not going to vlog about this. What did I tell you about giving away our information like that? What do you mean? It's Christina. Imagine how many subscribers we'd get. Besides, you've been crushing on her ever since I showed you that clip of her on the news. What? That... that's not true. Um, if we could get into the investigation. Right. Sorry. My twin is kind of an ass. Yeah, right. We brought you the box. It should be in the chute. Uh, yeah. So, there's some maps, uh, some invoices, and some recordings. They're from a former resident of Cape Lock. Hmm. Let's take a look, Sammy. The twins sat down on the couch, reading every word, pulling out calculators, and soon called us over after we had finished eating. All right, you three, come over here. Did you find anything interesting? First, after hearing the audio, there was something pretty interesting about the story. The paper that Mr. Bennett gave to Jeremy only said Lake City. And, correct me if I'm wrong... But that paper Jeremy had when he died said Cape Lock, correct? Yes, that's correct. So that means that the message must have been to someone, probably Mr. Bennett, to go there. What about to us? He knew that this was going to happen, didn't he? He knew he was going to die. Yes, but he didn't die in vain. Because we have some information now about the location of Cape Lock. How so? Jeremy's message again. He said that the car ride took a few days. More than two, less than a hundred. I think we can say safely. We had to do some calculations. A full tank of gas, picked up around noon, stopping for food in hotels. We have an approximation of how far he traveled. It's pretty simple, Algebra. How long did it take for someone to get from point A to point B? But you can find something out with the other information. If you don't have the time between A and B, you calculate it with the distance and the estimated speed. If you don't know where point A is... You use point B and the time it took to get there, and the speed. As of now, we only have a radius. Any leading contenders as to where point A is? We only have a few that actually match up to major interstates. One is Oregon. Another one is in North Dakota. And the last is in Texas. Wait, how is that possible? Jeremy is from Arizona. Yeah, but Cape Lock has been seen all over the United States. I don't think we can be so certain about that. Besides, we have five possible states where it might be now. Well, how about we ask someone who worked there? 
Robert Hirsch. The man on the invoices? He's the only other person we have left to find in Ohio. Old Lady Susan said she was from Ohio, didn't she? She did. Maybe that's where we need to go. It's a possibility that the math is wrong, even though I highly doubt that. What? What? What was that? I don't know. Samantha, pull up the camera. Open the door! They don't seem familiar. Do any of you know them? I think he's here for us, Everett. We were being followed? Is there any way he can get in here? No, we made sure of it. There's no entrance that leads here. It's only activated by a manual switch from inside. But that's the only way we can get out as well. We all stared at the glowing screen in Samantha's hands. The man continued his barrage at the door. He resorted to a branch that was found in a nearby tree to try and pry it open. Rocks at the windows, brute force, all of which were fruitless attempts. Soon he grew tired and walked away. Thankfully, he did not return. I should get going, and... I think you should go home, Michael. What? No! What a stupid idea, Christina! Isn't that a stupid idea, Everett? Michael, right now is not the time for fun and games. You need to be safe. And home is safe for me? No, everyone in the United States knows I live in Lake City now. Until this is over, no one is safe. We have to stick together. Michael, listen. I'm only looking out for your safety. There are so many different ways to do that. How about instead, you get me a hotel along the way? Don't broadcast where I am. Don't look for me until you're done. He can stay with us. Yeah, we have an extra bed he can use. Down here in this bunker. We don't live here. We're not going to broadcast where we go either, so you're safe. But you're YouTubers. Everyone knows where you are. Our uncle also has metric tons of money. We're travel vloggers. We're never at one place for any extended amount of time. Here, it's 10000 Give the change to Everett and he'll send it our way. I don't think I can take this, Samantha. You need to use cash. It leaves no traces of where you're going. That guy out there might not have been armed, but the next one might be. So be prepared. I thanked Samantha, waving at Doug and leaving Michael behind. The twins were generous enough to give me a backpack and to fill it with the papers from the package. I handed Michael the recording device from the chest. He needed it more than I did. Everett took me back upstairs to the station wagon parked among many other cars. Thankfully, the man outside that paid us a visit didn't know which one was ours. All right then, to Cincinnati. Ever been? Nope, not a big Reds fan either. Well, I hope you'll be ready for a nice four hours of driving. The two of us switched off every now and then. He had Taylor Swift blasting from the speakers, but I put on the radio. I had to turn it off, hearing nonstop talk about Cape Lock, but soon I also heard something about a new novel coming out, and then some legislation that was trying to be passed, and then slowly I realized that soon our story will be devoured by the 24-hour news cycle, an unflinching beast that doesn't care for Cape Lock, Lake City, or Jeremy Rogers. So I tried out for the baseball team today. I'm not sure if they'll pick me, but fingers are crossed. Ugh, math is becoming a bore. But hey, at least Arnold is getting me some Chick-fil-A from Powderhorn. I think Michael from math is pretty cute. I don't know. He might not like- Guess who asked me out to the prom? God, I'm so excited, I don't even know what to do. I don't want to hurt him. I... I heard too much. 
This is fucking town, man. I hate it. I hate it. I'll have to thank Arnold someday for the th things he's done for me. I sometimes wonder if Michael will ever hear any of this. You know, Michael, if you're hearing this, I love you. You were the only one who's ever loved me, who's ever given me life. I want to thank you. When in a world where no one would treat me with respect and dignity, you taught me how to be a good person. A functioning person. Someone who loves and feels. Instead of a husk. That just sits there. Lifeless. Emotionless. I love you. This story isn't about a lost town. It's about the life that we've lost along the way. Nighthawks presents Cape Lock, an audio podcast. Stay tuned for the next installment releasing next week. And hey, thanks for listening.